0: Hello, everyone. My name is Aldo Gandia. Uh, welcome to Gabriel Talks Football. With me, of course, is Greg Gabriel. We're bypassing the usual open to the show because we wanted to deal, at least for the first 15 minutes of show, this show uh, of portion of this show, to what transpired yesterday uh, in Cincinnati. The Buffalo Bills were playing... Um, the Cincinnati Bengals and DeMar Hamlin suffered what appears to be a, well, what is certain to appear to be a cardiac arrest. And uh, there's nobody better to talk to at this moment than Greg Gabriel, who has spent considerable time with the Buffalo Bills organization, that franchise, that organization still holds a special place in his heart. Greg, how are you? And I know you didn't get much sleep last night.
1: No, I, I just kept looking for updates on the situation because it's just a horrible thing to say. We're getting an echo, by the way. Um, okay. I'll take care of right.
0: One momento. We have got to fix that, and it is fixed. How's okay.
1: That? That's better? All righty. But anyway, but- yeah. I mean, I didn't get a lot of sleep. Uh, obviously, very concerned. You know, when it first happened, I'm looking at it, and then they have the camera on the players, and in, in particular, Josh Allen, and Josh Allen was like this. And, you know, some of the other players were crying, and, and your immediate thought was is this guy going to make it? Is it that serious? And, right. and you know, it goes back and I've been involved in this game a long time. I've seen a lot of bad hits, but I've never seen. And that really wasn't a bad hit. It just, right. you know, I, I, as I told you off here, I, I watched it a number of times and he makes the tackle, bounces right up turns around, and then just collapses over backwards. And the more you watch it, you did say he did take a real direct blow. Might have even been from the top of the helmet or the in that, that chest area. And, you know, we watched it a couple times last night. You know, my wife said, because my, my original thought was that it might have been broken neck or something Having and and then when she saw that she said well maybe cardiac arrest she told me a story about a guy she knew and this was you know years and years ago who was about the same age a fitness freak and he just tumbled over from for a heart attack and just out of nothing and it was because he got whacked in the chest Mm -hmm. and so that's what it, it it turned out to be in this case you know, and brings up, well, a couple stories. One is, okay, Hub Arkish recently. And, you know, I, I've only talked to Hub once since uh, he fell ill, and that was probably three weeks ago, maybe four mm-hmm. weeks ago. And he was telling me what happened, and, and he came out of practice in August, during uh, training camp, and just collapsed by his car. He has no idea how long he was out. Wow! And a person from the uh, bear security team saw him collapsed and found him collapsed or whatever, and, <clears throat> and and administered CPR right away. And actually, I think Hub told me broke a rib or two and mm-hmm. doing and in, in doing it but saved his life and he spent months in the hospital had to have open heart surgery now you know when you got a 24 year old like Damar hamlin is you know i don't think you know this was caused from the the force trauma not you know a, a, a heart defect right. uh, but because of the you know the loss of oxygen and stuff for a while Hub was just this is months later now, just starting to come around with memory. Oh, and wow. he said he had short term memory losses like remembering people's names mm. and such, you know. So, um, and as when I was talking to him on the, on the phone, his wife was uh right with him and she was helping him with names mm. as he was talking to me. Now, I know he's been on the radio since and he was. Much better. He was, you know, just doing a regular hit and not a a show. I don't know if he's capable of hosting a show yet. But these things, well, I, you know, we're we're sitting here. It's it's one oh five Central Time, so two oh five Eastern Time where uh, Demar is, and you're thinking maybe he's going to pull through. That this isn't going to be. It's serious, no matter what, but it's not going to be as bad as I think. What a lot of people anticipated last Mm -hmm. night, but is his? You know, what kind of conditions he going to be in?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is the the huge story now because it appears that the medical staff did everything perfectly uh well to save this man's life by resuscitating him because his heart did stop on the football field and the uh the phenomenon for lack of a better way of putting it is called commotio cordis i have a clip here from a doctor uh who who explains what commotio cordis is let me play that for everybody so that we can get a better understanding of of what happened here stand by
2: there's a condition called commotio cortis, C-O-M-M-O-T-O-I, O-T-I-O cortis, where young athletes can get trauma to the chest and doesn't have to always be as, as hard as it was last night. And if you hit the heart, the area of the heart at the particular rhythm of the heart, you can go into what's called ventricular fibrillation, which means that the heart just fibrillates and doesn't beat. You may not have a pulse, you suddenly collapse. If you watch the footage, the player suddenly collapses. The great thing about this is that they were able to resuscitate him almost immediately. I mean, you don't ever want to have any, any, anything like this happen, but the key was the the, the the rapid rate of medical personnel coming in and resuscitating, and they used an AED, and they were able to, from what I could uh, gather, have a pulse when he was leaving the stadium, so it's it's important. He may have had in some some underlying a uh, cardiac disease we don't know any of this is all conjecture but typically in young athletes like this there's a condition called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy fancy word where the heart is thicker than normal that could also be contributing to this but
0: so that he's moving into speculation now but it what i find fascinating is that this uh condition i mean it happens a lot uh uh, around the world, particularly in youth sports, it could be a hockey puck, a lacrosse ball, a baseball, a fist or elbow, in that exact area where it would cause the uh, the the sensation of uh, of loss of heart rate. Now, look at th- this is like it's a millisecond, it's a nanosecond. You would have to hit the person in the heart area at that point where you see that orange bar on that one heartbeat, you'd have to hit him or that person in that area at that time. And so it's the odds of it happening are tremendous, but it has happened. I've got some video here of it happening at a mixed martial arts event. I'll show this uh, so that people can get an idea of how Easily, this can happen with what is seemingly just a regular punch to the chest. It happens very quickly here, so keep your eyes. The man on the left is going to hit, be hit in the chest right there, and he goes back to take his stance, and he tumbles over. For him, that was a fatal uh, uh, moment in his life. So. It is, it is harrowing that uh, this has not happened happened more in the NFL with so many chess hits that we've experienced over the decades of watching this great game.
1: Yeah, it, it's we've all seen horrible hits, but I don't think we've ever seen anybody as lifeless as DeMar was. And when you look at the you see the looks on the players' faces, the tone of the announcing crew when they went back to the studio, and they had the studio crew. The looks on their faces—everybody looked scared, uh, didn't know what to say. Um, it, it brought me back to a, a moment in my life. I was a, and I wrote about this for um, Windy City Gridiron this morning when I got up. You know, I. It was my sophomore year in college, and it was the last game of my sophomore year in college. I was playing both ways, so I was playing like outside linebacker. I was rushing the passer. I hit the quarterback right after somebody else hit him, and his, you know, he went to the ground on his back, and his legs came up, and when his legs came up, that's when I hit him. So it was like you know he was scissored, and. He fractured his, his spine mm-hmm. and was like temporarily paralyzed for a little while and they had a, they ended the game. In this case, it was late in the fourth quarter. And th- they ended the game right then and there. He was hospitalized. He ended he had to have surgery. Um, but he ended up playing football after that, like the following year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played wow. at the at the Coast Guard Academy, and um, but I know that you know I went to see this guy at the hospital the day after because I felt so bad because I I'm the guy who hit him, yeah. and you know you just you 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 want to play right and you want to play fair and you want to play aggressive but you don't ever want to hurt anybody mm-hmm. and you know that. That leaves such a sour taste in your mouth. But, you know, he was like, he was fine. He, yeah. appreciated, he, he appreciated that I came and he says, hey, man, he goes, this happens in the game. Wow. Not like, you know, I mean, he was, he, 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 you know, put it this way, took a load off my mind, just his response. And I, you know, left that hospital room that day having just a ton of respect for the man.
0: Indeed. What a story. Wow. And T Higgins, the Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver who lowered his helmet and initiated contact with uh, Hamlin um, was visibly upset after the game met his mother outside the locker room. Uh, she was hugging him. And so you can only imagine what he's going through. Of course, it's no fault of his, this is just a weird, you know, one in a billion type of incident. And, um, Now, of course, we're going to have people who are going to criticize the NFL for this or for that. But in my opinion, based on what I know now, I don't think the NFL has done anything wrong. They had all the emergency services.
1: Yeah, I was just going to get to that. If something's going to happen to you, serious, the best place is at an NFL game (laughs) or NBA game where they've got medical personnel hockey NHL game, the buildings loaded with them, you know, emergency people. um, I mean, after a hospital, it might be the best place to be. And so when you think about it, you look at the timeline, I think they said it was not, and I may be off on this, 19 minutes from the time he collapsed till he was going out the, uh, the stadium in the ambulance. Yeah, oh, I'm not that, sure
0: that's correct, but go ahead, please.
1: Yeah, it was somewhere in that area. It might have been 29 minutes, but it was like somewhere in that area. And when you think about that response, that quick of a response is just amazing. And had it not
0: taken place where it took place, might never have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody in the chat room saying that it never happens in rugby, and that is just incorrect. It has happened in rugby, but again, this is not uh, a common occurrence because the the it's a nanosecond. You know, you got to hit at the exact correct area, and it, at at that nanosecond where the heartbeat is coming back down and coming back up, it, it is just so highly unlikely. Which, to me, you know, this happens in car accidents when people, you know, hit their, their steering right. wheel. This this happens uh, when, you know, somebody could just be messing around. You get hit in the chest in that one area and because it doesn't even have to be hard. You know, like I hit myself, but it just can happen, and it's such a freaky thing. So I hope that people are going to have calmer heads about this, really learn about this, and I think what they'll learn is that the NFL has – put together a program to protect these players in these kinds of incidents. They have what is called an emergency action program. Every NFL official meets with... Uh, with a medical team. And the medical team identifies themselves. I'm here to do this. If this happens, my name is this. I'm here to do this. I'm here. That happens at every NFL game an hour before the start of the game. And that's what happened yesterday. And that's why this gentleman was able to get the type of uh, action uh, and treatment needed to keep him alive and get him to the hospital. So that's very, very, very important.
1: Yeah, and you got to point out too—they're on the field during the course mm-hmm. of the game. It's not like mm-hmm. they're stuck away in the in, in the tunnel somewhere. The only thing though that 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 I'm not going to say bothers me because it wasn't this instance, but it's it's the most serious event from this year, and we've had other ones where the, you know, the the linebacker Shazier from Pittsburgh took a blow and ended up you know, being paralyzed from the waist down. And it's just now starting to get movement back and and walk again. But there's going to come a day, and I dread it, and I hope I'm long gone. There is going to be a death on the football field. It's going to happen. And for a little while last night, I thought that was going to be it. And I, I just pray that it never does happen, but it's a very violent game. And if you're not prepared for that, you shouldn't be playing the game. Yes,
0: indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, We've been called – somebody asked if we are too – Jewish leftists, because of what we're saying here, I don't understand what the connection is. But we've been accused of being another person is accusing us of ignoring that vaccinations might have had a role to do with this. The the world is off kilter here. Well, right
1: uh, here. whoever whoever said that doesn't know me very well.
0: <laughs> That's right, Mister. This is my right
1: arm. And you don't get much further right than me. And you know that.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I am a leftist, but I'm not Jewish. I'm a Puerto Rican leftist.
1: And I'm a Roman Roman Catholic.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, please stop. So uh, as uh, PZ said in the chat, those guys, yes, absolutely. Fuck those guys who come in here and just are riling things up. Um, All right. So final thoughts on this issue. We we are awaiting word. It appears that it will be at least 24 hours of care before medical officials are going to talk about his condition and where he is at, because it takes 24 hours for them to cool the body, rest the brain, and then try to get the brain going again, because that is the key right now. How long did, uh, was he deprived of oxygen? After a certain amount of time, if you're deprived of oxygen because of a cardiac issue or really any issue, then you could have significant damage. He talked about Hub's uh, memory loss, uh, and, uh, and it could get even a lot worse than that. So we won't know anything until probably later tonight, maybe even tomorrow. So any other closing thoughts? I know you got family in Buffalo. They must have been really uh, impacted by this and, and friends in the Buffalo Bills organization. Anything else you want to add?
1: No, not really. It just, it, it, it's just it's a sad thing to say. And, and, you know, you see some of the comments that came up directly after this catastrophic injury. Uh, and the one that I'm referring to, and I don't know if you saw it, was Skip Bayless's comment, yes, which, oh. um, which was disgusting, and he should be immediately let go by Fox Sports because of the ins- insensitivity of the
0: of his comment it was just horrible. Hmm. Yeah. It. Uh... And then he follows that up with uh, a, a tweet saying, for those of you who misunderstood. Oh, nobody well,
1: I, misunderstood. He got bombarded.
0: Ex- exactly. <laughs> you, you said, you you immediately changed the topic to rescheduling the game. This is impossible. You need to play the game and so forth. So how can we misunderstand that, Skip Bayless? And uh, Robert Griffin III third? A, uh, the former football player who's now an analyst on ESPN Sports and, and calls some football games, uh, he called him out. He said, you're an insensitive uh, – I'm paraphrasing, but you're an insensitive ass. Get your ass out of your – get your head out of your ass, I think. Is well, what he, wasn't,
1: he wasn't the only former athlete that or NFL player that, that uh, chastised Bayless for that comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just such an insensitive ass. and and always has been i you know when i came here in in 2001 uh, it it was shortly after he had left he was working for the tribune of the sun times or something Mm -hmm. and you know some of the stories uh and, and one was you know the late mark hatley and him had such a he was so horrible towards mark hatley that that's yeah. one of the reasons Mark
0: Hatley left the Bears organization. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, He didn't want to put, put up with that. Yeah, uh, Bayless worked for two or three years here at the Chicago Tribune as a columnist, and so all he did was write hit jobs on Chicago sports. And after a while, you could tell this guy – really doesn't mean what he's saying. He's just going out of his way, way to create a name for himself and attack people. And so I'm sorry to hear that about Mark Hatley. You knew Mark. He was a great guy, wasn't he?
1: Oh, real good guy. I met Mark when he was with Kansas City. We came into the league about the same time. I don't remember who was first. But mm-hmm. really, really a good guy, an astute uh, evaluator, uh, fun to be around. And, I, you know, I remember it was during training camp, um uh, where he just I think he had a heart attack and just died in his sleep, but uh sad thing. Oh, wow. that is sad.
0: King uh no, T is still letting him. us
1: Santa didn't him. show up. Yeah, so no, obviously he was not stuff. happy. Yep, no. I, I I'm surprised he still got a job today. I really
0: am. Mm. There's been Foster.
1: guys who us.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the very least, it should be a one-year suspension without pay or something. Perhaps the the Fox people are looking into his contract to see what they can get away with and and not suffer, you know, potential litigation from the Bayless team. But uh, Foster says uh, that his sister had her heart stopped for 26 minutes and she lost 85% of her brain. Sorry to hear that, Foster. That's awful. That's awful. Um, all right. I, I, I hate to do this, but we we have to, particularly since we don't have any new news to report. And on the uh, audio version and podcast version, I will state that at about the 23-minute mark is when we start talking about football. Um, so let's talk about the Chicago Bears because the performance Sunday against the Detroit Lions in Detroit was so disheartening. Uh, you told me very briefly before the show that you, th- you thought it was a total team collapse. Did this team quit on Iberflus, or, or what happened?
1: No, I, I, I won't say that. It's just they were totally out of sync. And, you know, you go into a game, that was a game Detroit needed to stay in, in the playoff race. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, the, the except for one game, other game, and that I think was the Dallas game, the Bears have showed up every week, and, mm-hmm. and and they've put up a good fight. There was no fight on Sunday, yeah. And and that's what that's what I didn't like. And and then you had, you know, and, and I know. Are, are we still doing that segment on, on Braxton Jones?
0: Yeah, we're gonna um, wait, we're gonna wait a week for that. Let's wait a week on that. I, okay. I think that'll be a better idea if we if we wait on he, that.
1: he had by far his his worst game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin did not play a, a great game. The defense was non-existent, um, and, and I give the defense a pass. That there's there's one or two players that are on, on the defensive line that belong in the National Football League. The secondary is playing with one veteran, um, and. It's, you know, it just makes it very hard. You know, teams, your opponent watches tape. They know what your weaknesses are. And when you get this one of the, of the year in a game that has to be won, um, you know, th- th- those weaknesses stand out. You know, I went in, and I'm, I may be wrong on this. But I, I had tweeted out, I think it was late Sunday night, that the Vikings need to win this game. You know, the game coming up on Sunday right. to hold their seed. I mean, yeah. they still got and, – and yet I'm reading stuff where O'Connell's thinking about who he might rest, if he's going to rest anybody at all. Well, if Philadelphia loses and Minnesota wins – and say San Francisco loses, the Vikings could be the number one seed. Wow. It's not totally out of the the realm of possibility, and I think they'd rather be two than three. So, but you know, some of that stuff gets confusing because of its, you know, division wins and conference wins and stuff have uh, are all part of the tie breaking uh, formula. Mm. But you know, Minnesota look. Awful against Green Bay. My but goodness. Then, you know, yeah, but then in, in watching that, you know, I just thought, you know, looked at their record and they go, if they want to hold on to their seed, they're, they're not going to lose one of those top four seeds. But where they are positioned in, in the top four mm-hmm. will have and, – and that can make the difference between a, a home game or a road game when you get into the second round of the playoffs.
0: Yes. Depending on,
1: you know, because it gets reseeded all the time now. So depending, and and so, you know, my thinking is they got to win this game. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then I hear yesterday, there's talk, you know, who might the Bears not use? Well, hell, I want to play everybody, you know, and and I don't want to hear about this. Well, he, he may get hurt. Well, then he shouldn't be playing. Okay. If if you're afraid of a guy getting hurt, he shouldn't be playing the game. You know, that stuff happens in a football game. It's part of the game, but you can't hold out a guy. You know, I get it if 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 the game is totally meaningless to a a team going to be in the playoffs the next week and they're going to have a playoff game the next week. Okay, but this is you're trying to. Find out as much as you can. I, I'll tell you where this is important is when you're evaluating your players and, and starting next week, the coaches will do this. And each position coach will evaluate over the entire season, every player in his group. And, you know, they do a re, like a report card on them. Uh, they write a plan, you know, whether the, the arrow's going up, the arrow's going down. Um, is there is there room for improvement with this player? What's he got to do to improve? Is this a player we want to keep or do we want to move on? All that type of stuff goes on starting next week over the course of the next few weeks. And mm-hmm. so how each of those players respond in a game like last week and then this coming sunday that's an important part of the evaluation process because if a guy doesn't show up and he basically quits you don't want him on your team you yeah. know and it's not like it's it's not like there's going to be a change in the coaching staff because that's not happening mm-hmm. you know sometimes players quit they know the coach is gone and so they check out too that's not the case here mm-hmm. the same groups here and 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 to their credit, up until Sunday, they had shown up every week.
0: Very true. Well, there has been one coaching change, but it was by his own volition, and that is the defensive coordinator, of, excuse me, the defensive backs coach, position coach, James Rowe, is leaving the Chicago Bears to taking a passing coordinator job. I believe it's uh, – I don't want to say exactly. It's it's at a college, at a college level. Uh, Roe was with the Indianapolis Colts. He was brought here. So this guy... you know, obviously it's it's impossible to tell exactly, but given the performance of the defensive backs with no pass rush on this team, this guy did a tremendous job. He, he resurrected or rejuvenated, I think is a better word, uh, rejuvenated Eddie Jackson's career. He worked with multiple rookies, and most of them performed at a very high level for being rookies, uh, particularly, you know, uh, guys like uh, uh, Jalen Jones, uh, the undrafted free agent. So he's he's a big loss. Uh, What do you anticipate? Do you anticipate anticipate further position coach changes with the Bears?
1: You know, I think you always have some, and and just like the players are evaluated, the coaches are evaluated. Mm -hmm. And most most assistant coaches, not coordinators, a lot of times have three year contracts. Position assistants usually have two year contracts. It depends unless they were, you know, they had to steal them from somewhere and then to get them, you had to give them a three-year deal, you know, for security purposes. But on the average, most position coaches have two-year contracts. And it's it's Poll's job and, and Eberflus's job to evaluate the coaching staff and say, mm-hmm. okay, this guy did a good, you know, th- this guy – coach to our standards and and there was there was a presser that that Fluce had that caught my attention i'm going to say maybe three weeks ago when there were some mistakes in the game and and he without using a coach's name kind of called out a coach and he said and you know might not necessarily have been the players' fault. Could have been the coach's fault, and I'm paraphrasing.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: it wouldn't be uh, surprising to me if there are a couple changes made on the staff where he feels he needs something better to help develop these players.
0: So. The big topic is defensive coordinator Allen Williams, uh, given the performance of this defense. And we know there's no talent there, especially. So what what are your thoughts of, of people asking, you know, should Allen Williams be released and a new defensive coordinator brought in?
1: I'm going to say no. Based on only the fact that they know there's no talent. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, now if you, if there's things that he just didn't see and it was obvious to Flusa's eye and not Coach Williams' eye, then okay, that's a different story. But he's never going to, the only time he's, Flusa said anything is that one presser, and he was specifically talking about, position coaches never said mm. who but he did say that so i know he was displeased to uh what's this virginia just sell the I, let's put an end to this right now the mccaskies are never selling this football team it doesn't it's look like not it. happening okay i could live to be 200 and somebody from the mccaskies family is going to be owning that football team okay <laughs> there's a reason why they're building this new estate, so to speak, out in Arlington Park, and that's to make them more money, Mm-hmm. because it'll make them probably one of the two or three wealthiest, most wealthy teams in the National Football League when that thing is all done.
0: Indeed, indeed, it's going to. Sh- I mean, that the value of that franchise—I think Forbes uh, listed it at three point one billion dollars. After that edifice is completed, uh, you can probably add another billion and a half in terms of value to oh, the but franchise.
1: It's be a lot more I mean first of all if, if if is that that was that a year ago, Forbes or the recent one because as soon as the Broncos got sold for four point five or whatever it was that the the Walton family paid for it, everybody's value went up,
0: yes. Sure, let me check that real quick here on the great old Google machine. Uh, 2020 is when they listed that, so okay, no, no, it, it,
1: it's over four billion. Wow, wow,
0: that's and, that's amazing. And
1: Washington, Dan Snyder supposedly is looking for a seven billion minimum to sell the Washington franchise, and you, you read that. There's people that are willing to pay that now. Now, with that comes the stadium, but it's an obsolete stadium. You're going to take that mm-hmm. damn thing down and have another one built anyway, you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, but they do own the stadium and that stadium has value. But how much value does it have now because it is outdated?
0: Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, let, let me get back to the Williams uh discussion because you know it is true that the uh the the barrel is empty in terms of talent but are there schematic things that perhaps williams could do to help the front four get a pass rush because that seems to be the number one issue with this bears defense is that quarterbacks are getting five six seconds to throw a a football and there's no pass rush there's no hurries, there's no knockdowns and there's certainly no sacks the bears have the fewest sacks in the National Football League, well, the talking- defensive
1: line had two on Sunday, and I, I tweeted out after the first one. I'm like, "Celebrate a defensive end got." A
0: play. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. Yes,
1: you know, and, and and they ended up with two from the defensive line on the game. Uh, you know that that could be, and I I don't like pointing the finger and and, and be suggestive, but the defensive line coach was uh, Rod Marinelli's assistant right? last year at the Raiders. And this is his first year as a lead defensive line coach. And he came highly recommended by Marinelli. And Marinelli, of course, is the, the mentor of Flus. Could that inexperience as a lead defensive line coach have something to do with the overall defensive line play this year. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it's,
0: it, it's, it's just a worth worthwhile topic. To just, yeah. yeah.
1: But, you know, I'm not, I'm not a practice. Mm-hmm. I, um, so I can't tell you if he's good, bad or indifferent. I'm going to say though, I thought for the first half of the season, actually until, you know, the Quinn and Roquan trade, Mm-hmm. The line wasn't playing too bad. And then it went downhill after that. And uh, did the loss of those two players have something to do with it? Yeah, it had something to do with it, but not mm-hmm. total production. I mean, when you look at, at uh, Gibson, he was, what do he have, seven and a half sacks or eight sacks a year ago? He yeah. got like what three and a half this year or something you know mm-hmm. he, he got one of the he got one of the sacks on sunday and you know the arrow should be going up on a player like that not going down mm-hmm. you know so it is I mean put it this way if there's gonna be a change
0: you're gonna know about it in the next two weeks mm-hmm. yep we're gonna know about it real quickly here so
1: now, now it is here's be- the, the one caveat though is that Assuming the Bears do lose, they will be one of the teams invited to coach in the East-West game. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in fact, even if they win, they could still do it because if if, a, if there's a turnover in a coaching staff, the, the, the team that would be number three right now would be Denver. And even though Denver doesn't have a first round pick, they still got that, Third slot, and, and the pick goes to Seattle. Denver's going to have a you know turnover on the coaching staff, so that takes them out. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, Houston has number one. Houston could actually beat the Colts because they're playing terrible on on Sunday. And then if that happens, and the Bears lose, the Bears have the first pick in the draft. But that mm-hmm. would still keep them in the East-West game, and then the, and then uh, Houston would beat number two.
0: How how much more valuable is the number one overall pick in the NFL draft as opposed to the number two, considering the dynamics involved here with the quarterback, uh, 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 quarterbacks available in the draft, and needs from teams and so forth? Can you characterize that for us? Well, you
1: know it depends how good the lead quarterback is, and. Two of the top three played over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Young from Alabama and Stroud from Ohio State. They both played really well. Excuse me. Young particularly well. And so it's a big game and that helps them because that's that's like their, their final exam. And because they're not seniors, they can't um, – play in an all-star game. So that's the final look you're going to get of them on a football field in a competitive game. Uh, all the rest now will be the testing interviews, private workouts, etc. cetera. Uh, the other quarterback, the third of the top three, Will Levis opted out of Kentucky's bowl game. And uh, he is going to play in one of the all-star games be it the East-West or the Senior Bowl. Um, And if it's the East-West, and and I think that's where he's going to end up, you know, he's going to have, well, I'll say it off the record here, he's already been promised, if if he accepts the East-West, he's been promised to Houston. So, and because Houston has a quarterback need. So, uh, I can't hear you Aldo if you're talking. I'm
0: sorry, I muted myself. Um that makes total sense that he would be promised to the Houston Texans. <laughs> that that would be good for the young man.
1: Yeah, well they they have the quarterback need and the Bears don't have a quarterback need. But mm-hmm. you know for that number what I, I I don't think it's a great year to have the the number 1 pick. You know, like if you had a a Trevor Lawrence yeah. An Andrew Luck or, yeah. or somebody like that, then it's like, hey, we're just gonna sit here and, and take bids mm-hmm. and, and let the best man let the best team win. Uh but I don't think that's I, I don't get that impression. Now, could that change? Yeah, it's gonna change because there's gonna be uh you know teams that are gonna be hungry, mm-hmm. but they're gonna, but it's Who do they have? How do they have them ranked? Right now, I don't think from everything I understand and everybody I talk to, there is no consensus number one. Some people have Levis number one. Some people have Stroud number one. Some people have Young number one. So who is the real number one? Well, beauty's in the eyes of the beholder, so to speak. So (laughs) if there was a consensus, that would make the pick maybe a little bit more valuable yeah, But right now, as we sit, you know, the third day of January, there is no consensus. That could change. Because you mm-hmm. know how all of a sudden the football season's over and things always change. After you watch guys running <laughs> around in shorts, Uh you know, they they do good in an interview or whatever. And then, you know, the lion season is is starting to get full-fledged. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's... It'll be an interesting next three months, put it that way.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that about the the draft because I was thinking about that this morning is that, to me, there is no one single player that I think is deserving of that honor of being the overall first pick in the draft. I mean, you can put – put their names in a hat for me for right now. And you pick Anderson. Okay. If you pick pain. Okay. If you pick one of the three, four quarterbacks. Okay. There isn't that one player like a Trevor Lawrence, uh, who is clearly the number one. It's that kind of a draft.
1: You're absolutely correct. And when you have a situation like that, that makes it very, very difficult to try to get out of the pick. Mm. Because the, now, don't forget, guys. In most cases, the guys trading up are pretty smart. Mm-hmm. Now there was a general manager here a couple years ago that he used to trade up every chance he got, but he he always outthought himself. So and and made trades he didn't mm-hmm. have to trade to get certain players. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these guys are pretty astute. They're going to say. Why should I go to number one when I can get them at three? And the Mm -hmm. price to get them at three is a lot cheaper than it is to get them at one. And when you make the trade, you can't de-emphasize the value of the pick. Mm -hmm. It has it has a value. And so you gotta pay for that. And and a lot of times to get that number one, you gotta overpay. I mean, you gotta hope that the Colts win. So the Bears don't have number one. Yeah. They're going to probably for all intents of persons they're going to have the same player, whether it's one or two. True, you know. All so right. you know. So, but it's. I think it'd be easier to trade out of two, and and, and if they win, the worst case they could be a four,
0: mm. which is not a bad. Uh... A uh, place to be picking from. Ryan wants to know: uh, given, give us a realistic compensation the Bears could receive for the number one overall pick. You've really answered this question before. It's a very complicated. It,
1: it, 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 it depends on where the where they coming from. I mean, you know, is the team three going to one? Is it is it number ten going to one? You know, mm-hmm. Philadelphia traded twice in the Carson Wentz year to get up to the top. And that was, you know, they were like 13 or something and they moved to seven or eight, then made another deal and then got the other deal to move up to get Wentz. And so they, and in the law, it actually made it probably a little bit cheaper for them to do it that way. Um, but they they had the capital to do it, and they had some players to to give away to get get some assets. Also, um, again, it it just until we get a better feel of how. And I keep repeating myself. I know it, but until we get a better feel of how these quarterbacks feel or are felt about by by the NFL people, because you you never hear the NFL people say anything about these guys. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Now I, I'll tell you, you know, as far as the East West, you know, I think last week I said I had a, we are finishing up the show. I said I had to call Pep. And so, and I did talk to Pep right after the show and that's what it was about. You know, that that, that if they're coaching, we'll give them the a chance at the first quarterback or the best quarterback there because they do have a need. And I, and, and he was jumping all over that. I mean, you know, he's only the offensive coordinator, but what he thinks will go a long way with, with, uh, with Lovey, not necessarily with the uh, um, uh, general manager, Nick Casario. But, you know, if they get, Levis, and again, I repeat, Young and and Stroud can't play in all star games. Mm-hmm. So if they get Levis for a week, and you have them in meetings, you got them basically twenty four seven for a week, really five days, six days, and that goes a really long way in the evaluation. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're going to know right then and there, that game's going to get over and they're going to know exactly how they feel about the guy, whether they want the guy or not. Um, or, you know, then if if, if they make the decision, nope, he's not the guy we want, then they, they move on to Stroud or, or Young.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, I want to tackle some of these questions. Um, boy, we're getting a lot of Jalen Carter questions. Uh, let me go with Toa asking, after scouting Jalen Carter, would you rather have him or Duran Payne? That's an interesting question. I'd rather have Payne. Because he's established, you know what you're getting.
1: Right, he's only, he's only he'll be 26 25. next year. Yes. You know, there, there is, every player coming out of college has some has faults. I think we talked about it last week with Carter. Uh, some people say there's a little lazy there, and we've also talked about, you know, with, with defensive linemen, you got to accept that there's a little crap in their neck. That's <laughs> yeah. part of the part of the evaluation process of a D lineman. They're not altar boys. They're not totally qu- clean. Um, It's, you know, how strong is the football character? And you look at the talent. Now, Carter didn't jump out the other day. But Mm -hmm. when you're evaluating people, see, some people say, well, I don't want him. He didn't play that good the other day. Well, you're not looking at one game, you're looking at every game over the last two years. Right. And last year, they had their defensive line had three first round picks on it. And everybody across the board said, and he was the best one, and he wasn't eligible for the draft.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. Um, a lot of, boy, I'm surprised at the anti-Carter uh, comments that are coming through. Like Creighton says, uh, uh, Creighton has said that he's getting Eddie Goldman vibes from Jalen Carter. You looked out no, of shape. I,
1: no, not, that, that, that's not the case. I, I um He's been dinged up a little bit this year, too, in fairness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's going to have one more game, national championship game against TCU. But don't get locked into seeing one game. You've got to watch everything. I, you know you know how great Tommy Harris was. If you just watched one game of Tommy Harris, you went, oh, uh, yeah. Well, what, what's the point? Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and, but you've got to watch every game.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and there's times when you see him just totally dominate. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm not so sure that he said Will Anderson's going to be the next elite pass rusher. I like Will Anderson, but there's a couple other guys in this draft that are really intriguing too, which means, and, and there's a guy that I had not done anything on, and I can't think of his last name right now, but the Kansas State pass rusher, and he's a junior, uh-huh. so, he had, <clears throat> so he hasn't declared yet. And if he declares, I'm going to tell you right now, he's going in the first round. How high? I don't know. Cause it, but he can really turn it on coming off the edge. And then we've talked about Tyree Wilson from uh, Texas Tech. You know, there's a, there's a bunch. So somebody said, ask him the DE at, at Texas Tech. <laughs> Here's the problem with, the, with, the, with Tyree Wilson, and it's the way Texas Tech used him. And mm-hmm. it's just totally befuddling to me that he was used in such a manner. But he was actually an outside linebacker, mm-hmm. almost always was on his feet. And I'm going to say, I'm just throwing a number out, but I'm, I know I'm close. 40 to 50% of the passing downs he was dropping into coverage instead of rushing the passer. Because when he rushed the passer, he was a terror. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, you look at his sack numbers, and I think it's, and he he missed the last two games, didn't play in their bowl game. You know, he had seven and a half, eight sacks, and you go, well, what's so great about that? But part of that is they're having him drop into coverage. And this is a guy that's six six or six, seven, 270 pounds and can run.
0: Mm-hmm. Felix uh, Anduki Azuma is the player you were referring to earlier. Thank you. He's Robbie. a
1: good good football player. I mean, put it this way, he's mm-hmm. worth doing a lot more work on.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: then you figure out and, you get, and and don't forget we're 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 only partially through the process. Mm-hmm. the nitty-gritty starts now. You get the All-Star Games. Now, what's good about the All-Star Games? Well, you see them in practice, and then the teams that are coaching in the All-Star Game, uh, they get a chance to work with these guys, so that gives them a little bit more inside information, so to speak, because they know how the guy is in meetings. They know how he practices, uh, how attentive he is, um, You know, because they're living with him for a week. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of the clubs, I mean, they're obviously they're watching and you get tape of it, but it's the interview process. And here's the interesting thing is that, you know, the combine limits you to 60 interviews. Mm-hmm. Okay, 60, 50, 15-minute uh, interviews. And there's going to be, as before I started the show, I counted as of today I think there's 103 or 104 underclassmen that have declared, and that doesn't count anybody that may have declared today. Mm -hmm. So, and that's according to this one site, and they may be off. There might have been 110 for all I know. But there's going to be probably in the area of 130, 135 underclassmen in the draft. That's four freaking rounds now of Mm -hmm. players. And you get 60 interviews at the Combine, so you're not going to interview – It's impossible to interview all those guys at the combine. So you use the all-star games because those aren't underclassmen to get those interviews out of the way. Mm -hmm. And so that's very, very important. And, and you know what, you don't really have that fit. Yeah. Supposedly you got a 15 minute time limit, but if it goes to 25 or 30, nobody's going to bitch about it. And, you know, you could find out a lot more because you can spend a little bit more time. I mean, we've, we've had some, when I was with the Bears, we had some interviews that lasted an hour. Wow. And we and we used to t- tape them, be it the, the East-West game, the Senior Bowl, whatever game it was, we brought, you know, one of the video guys with us and, and we'd take the entire interview. So we could review it, and then if the coaches wanted to see the interview, they could watch the interview. Okay. Uh, but I, I think that, that that's a like a quiet part of the uh, the all-star game process is you've got that time to
3: mm-hmm.
1: get to know some of these players and it also helps you at the combine because then when you get to the combine, you can concentrate on the underclassmen that you you know haven't talked uh, to. Uh, yeah well the underclassmen that you want to uh, an opportunity to get to know a little better. There might be 130 in the draft, underclassmen in the in, in the draft. But there's not going to be 130 you're interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, J2- and you're still not going to get them all done.
0: Right. J2K is pushing really hard for, uh, for us to do uh, a segment on Keon White from Georgia Tech. Uh, I don't think you've had a chance to look at his tape yet, but uh, J2K really loves – he he says he's raw, but uh, has some uh, excellent athletic skills. So we'll we'll get back to you on that. J two K. We'll take a you look. You know what at I got to do
1: when people bring up these names? I got to write them down. Yes, so I got to write that down right now.
0: And then that. I, Kansas, I sent you a
1: text the other day, and you never responded.
0: Yeah, because I was going to go back and look through the chat uh, to see who it was. Somebody uh, wanted uh, uh, Greg to take a look at this kid. Well, and, and has...
1: There was a Tennessee tackle, and then there was a. Um,
0: isn't a it, Felix? There Isn't was it a, Felix
1: and Duki? Uh, no, the the, the the other player, I think, was a defensive lineman from uh, Wake Forest, a defensive
0: tackle. Oh, yes, yes. So if anyone uh, knows – And actually, uh, Wake is.
1: Forest has two senior defensive tackles.
0: Mm-hmm, indeed. indeed. They play in
1: a rotation.
0: All right. So uh, let me uh, – Let me go to a a different topic here because A and B, McDonald has reintroduced this. I I, I think in many parts, this is a foolish conversation to have, but I'm going to phrase it this way because I think there is some value at looking at it from this perspective. Do you think that Ryan Poles is totally convinced that Justin Fields is a franchise quarterback or should be the quarterback for the next 10 years uh, based on what he has witnessed from fields this season.
1: If it was me, I'd say, yes, I can't speak for him. Because I, sure. it, it, I, from my standpoint, yes. Um, Obviously didn't play as, as well last week. You know, the arrow had always been going out. He kind of, flattened out last week. That happens.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: Aaron Rodgers stunk the first part of the season. Did that mm-hmm. mean you don't want him anymore? No, he's been pretty damn good the last four weeks. So, Indeed. You know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, there's some throws that he makes that very few people can make and mm-hmm. his ability to extend plays with his feet. Very few people can do, um, he is a force. You've got to set up your offense to align with the strengths. And I think Getzee has, in recent weeks, done a pretty good job of that. Uh, You know, I'll I'll be honest. Part of me thinks that uh, maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, but who the hell cares? Is that I don't know if they want to win right now because they they lose by winning. Yes. You know, and, and it's – I hate that word tank, but maybe, you know. That's why, that's why I
0: asked out. you that two, three weeks ago. You can tank without really tanking. And by that, I mean the play calls – You play it very conservative. You start to do certain things with the the scheme that you're running that day that isn't the optimum scheme to beat somebody is what I suspect might be going on. I'm not sure. I don't know. But, boy, it certainly doesn't seem that – they could do a little bit more from a coaching standpoint to help these players, whether it's blitzing more, whether it's the play calls for the offense and so forth. One follow-up question I have for you regarding Justin Fields. I, for one, am disappointed at the lack of progress or I shouldn't say lack of progress, but the slow progress he has made in the passing game in the NFL. He, You know, we see some of these young players like Brock Purdy come in. I mean, this is a seventh round draft pick. He comes in and he throws for 250, 300 yards. And I know we're comparing two different athletes with two different skill sets. But to me, at the end of his second professional season, he should be averaging at least 200, 225 yards, even with the poor pool of wide receivers and poor offensive line, which I don't think is that terrible. Um,
1: I'll I'll answer that this way. Put Fields on San Francisco and see what his numbers are.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a good – that's a great way to answer it. I, you just you know, and, and
1: I say that, you know, when we're talking about these these college quarterbacks and they go, well, you know, because I know for a fact there's a bunch of teams that really like Will Levis and they go, well, how can you like Levis? He's not anywhere near as good as Young or Stroud. Well, he didn't have the supporting cast that Young and Stroud had. Put mm-hmm. Levis at Alabama and see what he could do. Put Levis at Ohio State and see what he do with those guys. And, and you might see it a totally different player because he's got a supporting cast that he didn't have at Kentucky. Last year, 2021, he had a, a pretty good supporting cast at Kentucky. You know, the line was pretty good. There's two of those guys got drafted. This year, the line was horrendous. He was running for his life. And he didn't have the receivers that he had a year ago. Because a couple mm-hmm. of those guys were off to the NFL also. And and so his numbers actually went down a little bit, but that mm-hmm. doesn't take away from the talent. You know, it's just, and, and my whole way of, of looking at quarterbacks has actually changed. And it's because of two people, and I've, I've probably said this in the past, but Lamar Jackson and, and Josh Allen changed my thinking because – You know, there was this perception, belief, whatever, Mm -hmm. in the NFL that quarterbacks that are inaccurate in college Mm
3: -hmm. will
1: not all of a sudden become accurate in the NFL. Well, those are two examples right there that, you know, couldn't hit water from a boat in college (laughs) and have become very accurate passers in the NFL. (laughs) And... It has to do with, you know, the supporting cast they have, the coaches that they have, and their football character. And, and really, you got to put the football character right at the top because they have to have that desire and that work ethic to be the great players that they have become. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't re- go go back when Lamar Jackson was was drafted. There was a a lot of people, including Bill Polian, that thought he should be a running back or a wide receiver. You know, he was such a great athlete, but he was never going to play quarterback in the NFL. Well, the Hall of Famer was wrong because he's playing quarterback and he's pretty damn good. And the guy that is getting probably a closer look because of those two is the quarterback from Florida, Richardson.
3: Okay, who yeah,
1: very, very athletic. Uh, mm-hmm. Got a cannon for an arm, but he's got accuracy issues. You know he's mm-hmm. like a, you know, I think it was 52, one year and 59 the other year. been a starter and at, at, I forgot which year is which. Um, Josh Allen was around 55 percent, both his, his two seasons at Wyoming. Uh, Lamar Jackson was in the low 50s and high 50s, as two uh, two years, final two years at Louisville. But, uh, you know, in these offenses that the college play, you should be a 63, 64% completion percentage because you got mm-hmm. so many bubble screens and stuff. And yet these guys were well below the line. So you say, how can they possibly be, the, you know, become an accurate passer in the NFL where the, you know, the window is 10 times smaller than it is in college. Right. But they right. have. So if, if those two can do it, who's to say that somebody else can't do it?
0: Right. Well, I'd love for uh, Fields to improve his short passing accuracy. I, I think that's been a problem all year, and uh, but we'll see. I, I love your response to that question. Let's get to some of the questions in the chat. Uh, Lou Love says, hey, Greg, do you think this is a good draft this year? In your opinion, what was the best draft you ever scouted? So let's start with the first part of that two-parter. Do you think this is a good draft this year?
1: I think every draft is a good draft. If you do your homework, then you're gonna find good players throughout the draft. Now, there are the media characterizes good bad, good draft, bad draft by what's at the top. Okay, so if you look at this year, and there's no clear cut number one, and you know you could you could ask, Five or five or six teams who your top five is, and you'd get probably five or six answers. So the media would characterize that as a not a good draft. That's not necessarily the case because mm-hmm. <laughs> draft seven rounds deep. How good are the players that you're going to get in the third round, the fourth round, the fifth round, and the sixth round? You know, last year was a pretty good draft, and and what the a testament to that is that the Bears got players in those late rounds. Yeah, that that have helped the football team. So, and and you know that even when Ryan Pace was here, he drafted guys late that turned out to be pretty decent players. Mm-hmm. And so, part of it's luck, but you know you're, you're you're don't forget when you get into that final draft process, you're not looking at. 235 names that are going to get drafted or whatever 255 names. you're looking at the 80 or 90 guys that you got an interest in. and mm-hmm. you know those guys inside out. And I remember when I left New York and you know I came here and we it was we were here one year it's actually my second year here that we started to go to the, we, we cut it down. we went to what we had called a hot list. And then Tom Boyster, God rest his soul, uh, was my boss in New York. He goes, oh, You know, I told him, I said, Our hot list, our board had 100 players on it. Well, how do you do that? I go, You just don't put the guys on the board that you don't want. <laughs> he goes, Well, how do you get seven rounds out of 100 players? I said, Tom, they come from all different areas. And he just, <laughs> he is so, he was so used to lining them up.
0: You know, 28
1: guys, 20 or now 32, 32 teams in a row
3: Right.
1: that that you had to have that full complement of players. It's like, no, there's guys that we don't want. So why have their name there to cuddle, you know, just clutter your board? Yeah. Take them off the board. You don't see them. You don't think about them.
0: I love that philosophy. I, I should employ that on my desk here as it's cluttered with all sorts of crap. All right. Let's go to another question. um Greg, uh, what other positions should the Bears look at in second and third rounds? And so I guess I'm, he's, I'm assuming that he's thinking that the Bears are going to choose a pass rusher, either defensive tackle or defensive end in round one. Where what uh, if you're drafting with the idea of position needs? What do you think they are?
1: Tell me what they're going to do in, in free agency, and I'll give you the answer. Until, is- and, until. We know what they sign in free agency. You have no idea what they're mm-hmm. going to do with the draft. Yeah, you're going to have an opportunity. Right now, we know. The worst they can do is have the fourth pick of the draft to start off with. Can they move out of that? Yes. But they're going to have somewhere between one and four. Mm-hmm. That's the given, you know, five days from now. The After that, so... If you're between one and four, your board for your first pick isn't going to be very big, is it? I mean, it's going to be like what five names? Four <laughs> That's names? Right. That's right. right. So, uh, unless you're, you, you've got it in your head that you're going to move back. And then when you move back, you don't move back just to get the picks, but you want to stay above a certain level of a grade on a player so that mm-hmm. you're not dropping down too much in talent. And so okay. you gotta, you, know, you got to figure out where that, that drop-off line is. And you say, okay, I'll trade back to this far, because at that far, I, I'm pretty sure that I'm still going to get a shot at one of these players that, mm-hmm. that you know really they have a liking to. So that's part of it. But would you f- see what they do in, in free agency, how many offensive linemen they sign? How many defensive linemen they sign? Do they sign any receivers? Do you know whatever? Because they got a lot of money, and and there's a lot of guys that are were just on one year contracts. Who are they going to bring back? And are they going to give them just another one year contract, or are they going to give them say a two year deal or something? Mm-hmm. And until you have those questions answered, and free agency I think starts the fifteenth of March. I looked it up the other day. I think that's what the date is this year. Yeah, that and sounds course, right. And so the 12th or 13th, you can start negotiating with players. So you can have deals done, you just can't sign it until the 15th. Mm-hmm. And go ahead.
0: I, I was just going to say, I think next week's episode, we should devote a good half hour to discussing some of the free agents that we would put on a list of players perhaps the Bears might want to target. I mean, obviously, Deron Payne and some of the other names that have been mentioned. But, you know, I'll select a, a handful of players, send that to you via email, and then perhaps we can discuss them as potential targets for Ryan Poles. Because you're absolutely right. This, we, we, we tend to focus too much on the draft when in the progression process, it's free agency that happens first, and that has a big time effect on uh, draft choices, I wanted to uh, get to J two K J two K's question here. He said that last week he asked about improving the wide receiver room, and Greg, you didn't sound too optimistic that we will. Is that because of the Chase Claypool trade and or what's available in free agency and the draft?
1: Well, I, I think it's a good draft for wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Every the last. Eight years has been a good draft for the wide receivers, it's loaded. And it's just because of the way the college game is being played right now. Uh, and this year's class is no different. You're going to get a good wide receiver. A wide receiver capable of becoming an eventual starter and and, and make contributions as a rookie into the fourth round. It's going to happen. I mean, because you could probably, you know, let's say there's an average of five that going around in the fourth round. You're at 16, 17, and eighteen. Well, how I could sit here right now and give write down 20 names that are pretty damn good receivers. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have a dog barking any second because I think my wife just got home.
0: Uh, <laughs> That's fine. We love it when Bennett barks. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, well, he, he'll want to go see his mama. <laughs>
0: Uh, and we're close to uh, closing the door on this episode, so let's do this. Let's next week. Let's talk about free agency. So everyone uh, that joins us live week to week, come prepared with your free agent questions. And if you want to shoot them to you me, before, been, I don't
1: know if I'm going to know about a lot of these players. So yeah, uh, you
0: know, and, and so, and, so
1: and, and the other thing that is that these teams will have an opportunity up until the day free agency starts to. Resign them and it'll be a few weeks before that to put the tag on them if they're going to okay. put a franchise tag or the transition tag on them and that right. that's all part of the equation too
0: absolutely so I, perhaps the way we approach this is you know let's let's target some people if they're available in free agency then perhaps the bears should explore what that agent is asking for and so forth so a a wish list of free agency uh, acquisitions is is perhaps how we should how we should frame this. Right. So, well, um, and
1: and we go back, you know, you go back to last week because there was a player that I'd been watching all year that I would have loved to have for next year, and that's Conklin from the Browns, a right tackle, which would really mm-hmm. upgrade the offensive line both from a talent and and leadership point of view. Well, he resigned. He re up for. 15 million or 15 years. So $60 million total. But at the same time, looking at that figure, that's going to be the high side of the right tackle market right there. So he's, it's been set. So, you know, like if you want to get a, a a Mike McGlinchey, you know, it might cost you a little bit less because I think Conklin's a better player than McGlinchey. It's going to cost you a little bit less than, um, you know, on a per year basis, than than Conquer got.
0: Hmm. Do Do you still feel I got one more question for you? I'll we'll get you out of here. Well, I got I got to let
1: the dog out the door because he'll go crazy. Uh, in one second.
0: Absolutely, oh, take your time. <laughs> there goes Bennett. <laughs> that dog is a beast. He's probably weighs a. He's got to weigh over a hundred pounds. <laughs> um, and so, what I want to ask uh, Greg as he settles in here. And I have to remember what my question was. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, the offensive line. You had said earlier in the season, and I agreed with you, that maybe – the offensive line doesn't need the overhaul many fans expect there to be. And maybe all we need is one key acquisition because of the promise of players like Braxton Jones. Do you still feel that way after the performance of the offensive line over the last few weeks and the injury again to Tevin Jenkins? And you got to ask how reliable he can be after suffering uh, back-to-back neck injuries. Was was the first injury a few weeks ago
1: a neck injury?
0: Three three weeks, and then he sat out sat out the second week, and then last week he got re-injured. No, it,
1: it's, to me, it sounds something like a stinger type thing, mm-hmm. which is uh, um, rest will take care of. Like he might have came back too quick. I, I agree. Yes, and uh, it wouldn't shock me if he does not play this week. Mm-hmm. But there is a difference in the run game and the way the offensive line plays between him being in and not being in. Um, there's some guys I just don't think can play and that, you know, you don't want them on the team. Um, you know, I'm not a big Schofield fan. Uh, Mustafer is strictly a backup. Uh, you know, so that it it's to me the key question is what does the coaching staff feel on Patrick? Because I I don't care what the fans think because the fans are gonna say, well, he stunk a guard. Well, he was not a guard, he's a center. Mm-hmm. And he played one quarter of center all year,
3: mm-hmm. and he was
1: signed to play center. So I think the coaching staff will give us a fair answer on that really by either bringing them back or, or cutting them and seeing if they, you know, dra- it's a pretty good center draft. You could draft really is. Center, uh, or, you know, sign somebody in free agency, whatever. So by, by the end of the draft, we're going to know the answer to that. Uh, will they draft? Uh, an offensive lineman and or sign an offensive lineman, yeah. I think so. Y'all, I you you want to replenish every year, but I think some of these guys, it's just a matter of development and right. playing together. You know, playing together. I I to me there's not a right tackle on the team right now. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is the biggest issue. There are some people that you know Think that uh, Braxton Jones is in the toilet, and I'll argue that all day, and we'll talk about that another time. Um, and my my experience with players like him backs you know backs me up of of what it's going to take. The difference between him being average to becoming an elite tackle is really very little, and. It can be done in one off season.
0: Hmm. Well, and had a good follow-up by Richard Long here. How much can the present rookies and young players improve in the weight room and specialized skills training during the off season? Have you seen um, dramatic improvements? Oh, well, it, it, it's huge because, number one,
1: uh, well, part of this was goes in with the Bra- Braxton Jones things because one of our listeners said, well, he shouldn't have been working on his, his weaknesses during in his draft preparation. They don't work. A lot of these kids don't know what their weaknesses are because mm-hmm. when they were in college, they dominated. That's how they, why they got drafted to begin with. Okay, mm-hmm. so like a person like Braxton Jones played a, a low-level FCS program. So he wasn't going – he played a couple Power Five schools and played – not Power Five schools, rather group of five schools – and played pretty well. Okay. And he went to the senior bowl on more than held his own. You didn't see an issue with, with um, bull rushers. Right. Okay. But once he got into the league, you see that issue. And so, you know, this one guy says, well, you should have been working on that. No, you work when, when you go to these things. And number one, we don't know if he went to a camp because he wasn't looked at as a you know, elite prospect, top two or three-round prospect, cost the agents a ton of money to send one of these kids to these prep camps for four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay? And and, and it comes out of the agent's pocket now. It doesn't – the kid isn't paying for it. So, you know, was he in fact doing that? And when you go to those things, you're not working on strong points in defense – strong points and weak points. You're working on what you are going to do at the combine. Mm-hmm. Bench press, your 40-yard dash, your vertical jump, your long jump. It becomes, the drills become repetitive drills. Okay, the 20-yard shuttle, the three-cone. You practice those time, time and time again. You're probably doing 20, 20-yard 20 shuttles a day, 15 or 23 cones a day. You get your steps down, they become learned activities for these guys. And that's why, you know, sometimes you got to throw the, the times out. But at the same time, when you got them, when you have everybody doing it at the combine, it's people compared player a compared to player B on the, at the same time on the same per on the same surface at the same place.
0: So it's it
1: really apples to apples versus the kid doing it at a at school and you have, you know, the, the schedule that goes on. And so, you know, it's, it's the combine week is very stressful for, for players, especially because of all the interviews they're going through and those go on, you know, until 11 o'clock at night. And so their activity schedule makes the, the whole process difficult on that. So when you shine, that's obviously a good thing. But when you're at school at a pro day, now you're on your own turf. You know, you don't have all that other stuff going on the night, the day before, or two days before or whatever. And you can just go out and shine. Mm-hmm. But still to get back to the point, that's what pl- players work on the things they're going to do at the combine. It's a known commodity, everything they do. Okay, so it, it's not like there's something new thrown at them. And that's the difference between having a private workout and going to the combine. You go to a private workout, you don't have a clue what they're gonna do next. Hmm. you know. And, and that tests the player a lot more. But right. um, getting ready for the combine is strictly repetitive drills of doing what they do at the combine.
0: Yeah. Um, that's that's a, a great point. I and I hope one person in particular is listening to
1: it. <laughs> well, you know, put it this way, you know,
0: there's a lot of people
1: on the league that would love to test lower body strength and power. Mm, there's okay. they haven't come up with a way to do it without endangering players. Yeah, you know, it would be too yeah, stressful. But, you know. Uh, you're not going to mm-hmm. ask a player to do maximum squat yeah. at the combine, and then he's got to run a 40 yard dash the next day. <laughs> yes, you it's know, it's just, you know it, it's just not going to happen. So yeah. th- there's things that take development, and mm-hmm. you can w- when you learn what a player needs, then that becomes in the off season program, especially when you got a you know astute weight coach. It becomes the point of emphasis for the off-season program,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it's more than just the, the six weeks you're taking part in the off-season program. And and some of the stuff, you know, guy said, well, should have been doing that when he came to the off-season program. Didn't no rookie comes to the off-season program until May fifteenth, and the damn thing's over June fifteenth. Yeah, and they got OTAs and a mini camp, and so the emphasis is not on lifting. They're doing some lifting, but it's not the total thing when they get off, you know, for the next month or six weeks before they go into camp, you know, then they're working on, on some things, but still their first, um, what's the word I want, experience mm-hmm. with, with a strong off-season program is this coming year. Year two, yes okay so now you got the full off season and they're going to go in before okay they they clean out their lockers next monday Mm -hmm. go on their way before they leave they're going to have a packet this is what you got to work on between now and the start of the off-season program because the off-season program is just you're under you're under my roof and you're going to do it my way but what you're doing on your own We're going to see what you do on your own because we're going to test you when you get here.
0: Mm. All right. Two quick questions, and we'll get you out of here. Denton Fender wants to know, uh, is it easy to get a private workout with a player? Tell us quickly how that process works. You want a player to come in? uh, No, you don't bring them in. you
1: got to do it. You can't, unless the kid's local, you can't do it here. Right. So if he's okay. from Alabama, he, you got
0: to go to Alabama. You got
1: to you, you work out a play, player at two places his hometown or his school. Okay. Okay. So uh, usually it's a school. So you go to the agent, you set it up. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, and J2K, final question Greg, who are you most excited to see at the Shrine game besides Danny Shimon and me? <laughs> we'll be there. We want to take you out to dinner one night. So.
1: Um I, by the way, I know I'm going the, the 27th and coming back the first night of the first. Okay. So you know that. Good to know, know, thank the, you. the lat the last practice is the 31st. The 31st. Then, okay. The 31st. And so uh, the I, you know, I haven't looked at the complete roster because it changes, mm-hmm. and it will continue to change right up until the week of the game. Because I don't think there's a lot of kids that's realize yet that the full coaching staffs are at the East-West, not the Senior Bowl, mm-hmm. and there's going to be guys that are going to, you know, depending on on their draft is it, where, where they think they're going to be in the in the draft or whatever what they what they think is their preliminary status you know, they're going to want to go be coached by a full staff versus one coach from here, one coach from there or whatever. So I think the roster is going to be ever changing. Um, mm-hmm. The senior bowl probably still will have a, a, a stronger roster this year. I think that'll end after this year because then, you know, word will, you know, the agent community, everybody else will know that the, the full coaching staffs are at the East West, but, uh, you know, until I get the entire list, you know, the, there's a receiver from Penn that I think is going to be going, you know, that's a guy I really want to see because he just tears up the Ivy league mm-hmm. or excuse me, Princeton. And okay. uh, so it, it, it's, um you know, I'll, I'll hold back on that one until I see the, the final roster, and I might not see the final roster until the day we get out there.
0: I'm scrolling down the uh, roster here. You said Princeton, just to get the kid's name out there. Um, by the way, Co- is it Kobe Turner, the interior defensive lineman from Wake Forest, that we were asked to take a look? So There's two, uh, there's
1: two uh, defensive tackles from Wake Forest. I can't remember what their names are, but there was – and actually both – are pretty decent players. Okay, good. And they very seldom play together. They, they like a lot of schools do now on defense. They rotate, and mm-hmm. so one is with Group A, and the other one's with Group B. But they they're both getting fifty percent of the reps. Very cool.
0: J two K. We will address your question uh, in full uh, on a future show, and um, that's going to be it for today. If, episode- if
1: you guys got names, send them in. will Eldemold- you know, get them to me. And then when I got an opportunity to watch, I will, you know, I'll watch them and have a feeling because a lot of guys I did for this one group I'm doing players for were underclassmen. Some will come out, some won't. Uh, But I've done at least
0: 215 players so far. Nice. Nice. You've been a busy man. So uh, again, if get the name to me, my email address is aldo at bearsbarroom.com or send it over on Twitter at barroom network. My DMs are, are you gonna, open. You,
1: you can DM me on on uh, my Twitter too. So there,
0: there you go, be. Greg. Uh, uh, great uh, to talk to you about this issue with uh, the young man in Buffalo. Uh, and giving us your perspective on that. Our prayers are, go out to him and to everyone in the Buffalo Bills community because this is something that just, you know, uh, is just more than about this young player. Of course, it's first and foremost about him. But the the after effects is family, friends, fans, uh, throughout Buffalo wow. and throughout the NFL world.
1: How about this? And we, and we didn't talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Depending on how he recovers over the period of the next couple of days, that's going to have an effect on that Buffalo Bills team, right? Now, if he bounces back and he's going to be fine, that that's going to be a positive for them. But if it's worse than that, mm-hmm. you know, that could have. You know, this is a promising team. Yep, with a with a. You know, a, a better than even chance to to make it to a Super Bowl that could go right down the toilet. Yep, over there. and um, so I, I think that's important. And then the other thing, and the league is yet to address it yet. That they keep putting it off. It was a very <laughs> important game yesterday. Mm-hmm. That had a lot to do with 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 the seedings, and now the game technically hasn't been played. Right? And and you can't say well okay Cincinnati was ahead 7 to 3 6 minutes into the game so we're going to give them the win. You can't do that. Can't do that. You know, so and if they take it out so they just don't play the game, that automatically gives Kansas City the number 1 seed. Mm-hmm. Is that fair when one of these other two teams could have very well had the number 1 seed? Yep. I think that's causing a huge dilemma in the league mm-hmm. office and how to deal with it.
0: Yeah, it, it is uh, an unusual circumstance, a, a uh, something I've never before seen in my lifetime. I, I was alive and watching on television when I was 10 years old, the Chuck Hughes incident uh, at the old Tiger Stadium. He was a wide receiver for the Detroit Lions who collapsed late in the game uh, and really was pronounced dead on the field. Not publicly, but he died on the field. Uh, And so uh, that was harrowing as a kid to witness. Uh, Yesterday was harrowing. And the ramifications, as you just stated about rescheduling the game, the impact on standings and so forth, adds to that whole, the whole drama behind this. Uh, But first and foremost, our thoughts are with uh, Damar Hamlin. So That's it for this episode of GTF, Gabriel Talks Football. Let your friends know that this is available on demand wherever you get your audio podcasts uh, and on YouTube. Just search Barroom Network, and uh, you will find GTF, Gabriel Talks Football, on your list of programs there. Greg, thanks again, uh, and we'll talk to you soon, brother.
1: Okay. We'll see you later. Thank you, guys. (laughs)